0: A very good morning to you. If you'd like to grab a seat, we'll get cracking. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very, very welcome. Uh, If you are new or visiting, do go and say to the team over there at the back, the Hello Welcome team. Uh, We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to um, help you find out if this is the church that uh, God is calling you to or if some other part of the body of Christ is where the Lord would have you be. Uh, We'd just love to help connect you with. Uh, what's going on, so uh, do go and see the team, they'll they'll help you out. Uh, During the sermon, uh, offering baskets will come around. If you're new or visiting, just ignore them. They're like little white things. and uh, All the money that goes into the offering baskets on a Sunday, we're giving away to uh, support our international mission partners in places like Nepal and in India and in Myanmar, particularly as they um, combat sex trafficking. So uh, that's where all of that money goes to. Great to see you all here this well, morning. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me? Uh, if you've got a Bible, like you might, wa- you might want to turn. If you've got an actual, like like a real Bible, do you remember these? Back in the old days, this is like old school retro. If you've got one of these, you might want to turn to like the table of contents, because um, it might help you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna revisit. I felt like the Lord. Kate and I were praying. We felt like the Lord. Um, wanted just to revisit a series we did a few years ago, and it's on the book of James. I feel like that's something that the Lord has for us, and uh, the reason that I'm suggesting that you turn to the index is because you might have a better chance of finding it if you turn to the index. James is, is one of those kind of... Um, it's, li- it's a little book. It's only like five chapters long, and it sort of gets a little bit shoved into obscurity. It's after all of the... Um, all the exciting stuff of the rest of the New Testament, and it's sort of just before the weird stuff of uh, Revelation. And I feel a bit for James. It might be the Lord. It might be the fact that God has been sending us, like, a lot of people called James. (laughs) Like, I don't know what that is. But there are, like, a lot of guys coming to the church, and they're called James. There's a lot of Matts, and there's a lot of Jameses. There aren't many Neils. It's harsh. Esther told me, she said, I think last year, there was not one birth (laughs) registered under the name Neil. Or, just to make me feel even better, Gary. (laughs) It'll come back, there'll be a resurgence. But at the moment, anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. James's and Matt's. But James, I feel a bit sorry for this guy. He sort of gets a little bit eclipsed, I think. Uh, he gets a little bit overshadowed, I think, by uh, Paul and uh, Peter. And I think there's been a bit of a tendency for us to marginalise James and to sort of leave him a little bit to the the side of the plate, leave the letter that bears his name to the side of the plate and to really not think about or... or pay much attention to the, uh, to his character and the incredibly important role that he played in the church in Jerusalem. And I think what happens so often is it's very easy for us to forget that alongside Peter and Paul, James was one of the three most important figures in the, the very early, very crucial, dec- early decades of, of Christianity. And so... I feel like the Lord would have us look at the book of James, which is what we're going to be going to do, and I feel like there's a bit of a let's get James back on the map campaign. Um, We're gonna look at this book that Martin Luther called an epistle of straw, um, which is very charitable. He'd obviously never actually read what James wrote about taming the tongue, Um, but that was his perspective, or Hopefully we're going to dig into it and see that actually this book is an incredibly um, practical guide to living out our faith as followers of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to do just a quick overview and an introduction. Uh, And my job really over the next few weeks is to get this book upgraded. We're trying to get James upgraded. Uh, We're going to try and drag him from the back of the plane, you know, from economy through to premium economy, way past business class and up to first class is what we're trying to do with James. So, this is a sort of um, a pre flight, you know, preamble, sort of settle yourself in, hit, hit the button on your reclining flatbed, throw a cashmere blanket around your shoulders, and sip on a glass of champagne um, or a coffee and a donut. Uh, over the next few weeks hopefully we'll get to see how not only relevant but absolutely vital this little book is to us uh, right now and how we really need to be digging into it. Now the first thing about James, a lot of this is about perspective uh, as is true for lots of things. If you go back to the table of contents, um, the way that we look at something can impact what it is that we're seeing. So If you look at our Bibles, if you've got one of these wonderfully retro, old-school things like called book, uh, rather than just your phone, they're printed in such a way that after the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and then you've got the Acts of the Apostles, which is effectively the story of the early church. If you look at the order of things, it's it's Paul's writings that, that dominate. And uh, then there's a few sort of short letters of some of the other apostles. And then you've got revelation at the end, which kind of sort of feels sometimes like uh, an appendix, you know, like a bit of a postscript or something. But if we were to flip our perspective around and if we were to look at exactly the same things through the lenses of, I don't know, the Eastern Orthodox Church, you know, especially if you look at Greek and Russian Bibles, uh, what you would see is that the, the running order of the New Testament is slightly different. It's quite interesting. Because in, in those Bibles, it goes to the Gospels, right? And then you've got the Acts of the Apostles. And then, who's next? Jimmy. James. He's in next. And then you've got 1 and 2 Peter, and then you've got 1, 2 and 3 John, and then you've got, finally got Jude. And then after all of that comes the Pauline Pauline's writings, uh, finally rounding off with generations. So when you look at the different versions of the Bible, it's the same stuff, it's just in a slightly different order. You've got the, the story of Jesus, you've got the Gospels, and then you've got the story of the early church, you've got Acts. And then the priority goes to those who were apostles before Paul. So if you go to the early chapters of Acts, you read Acts and it's like Peter is like right up there. He's like the head Poncho, he's the leading figure both in the mother church in Jerusalem and in taking the gospel out from the center and and sort of pioneering Gentile mission. And then um, so in in chapters 2 to 5 of of Acts, it's it's like Peter, Peter, Peter. It's all Peter. And then in chapters 6 and 7, Stephen kind of comes in. And then chapters 12 and 13, Paul and James uh, respectively succeed. Um, Peter's sort of uh, two roles, Paul. As an apostle apostle to the Gentiles, and then James, as an apostle to the center, to the church in Jerusalem. So there's something about perspective, which is helpful. Let me just give you another example of um, what I mean. Now, again, if you have like a printed version of the Bible, like somewhere at the back, right, which was specially put in there for people listening to really dull sermons, so that they had something interesting to look at while they're in church, are the maps. You got maps in your Bible. Like, you know it's going to be an amazing sermon when you're you know, when I like have a look at the maps. It's like something gets interesting and exciting. You see, because it's like legitimising the fact that you can look at the maps without me noticing that you're doing a shopping list or bored. Okay. So when you're um, reading and studying the New Testament, which you're all doing on a regular basis, several times uh, a day. Uh, inevitably what happens when we're thinking about the New Testament is that we we have a very sort of Mediterranean-centric view of the world. Everything's kind of focused in and around and on the Mediterranean. that's pretty much because when you look at the maps, that's what the Bible sort of points to. That's what the reference books kind of tell us. And so if you look at the maps, I think we've got like uh, maybe, yeah. So this is, um, this is, that's Mediterranean... These are key places in Paul's uh, ministry. When you look at the sort of map, that's kind of what you think of as the New Testament type world. And and you see that that um, look at that Fair right in the middle. Where's that? Sounds like a nice place to go. Never heard of that before. Anyway, um, you see see Jerusalem is like right, right down here, bottom right hand corner of the map. It's like it's right off in, on the edge, right basically because they just couldn't like kind of fit everything on. And so our sense of how things look is influenced by that. And so Jerusalem kind of gets shoved to the periphery, and so it's uh, easy, and the chances are that not many of us give it very much thought. But our our sense is that, that Christianity really kind of happened all around the Mediterranean. But the Mediterranean wasn't the extent of the first century world, obviously, if you cast our minds back to Acts, um, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. If you go right back to the beginning of Acts, um, Luke, what he does, he gives us this very sort of uh, Jewish, Jerusalem-centered view of the world. And so if you have a look at the next map, which is, um, this is the nations of Pentecost, this is around Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem's much more in the middle. So you've got Rome over here, And then you've got things like, you know, Parthians, the Medes, all the way sort of over there. And Jerusalem is right at the very center of all of the missional activity. And so Jerusalem is the the center of this sort of, um, you know, this Jewish diaspora, the Jews and Christianity being spread around uh, the world. And and when you think back to Acts chapter 2, you know, the Parthians and the Medes, these are as far away from Jerusalem to the east as Rome is from Jerusalem to the west. Does that kind of make sense? So there's this whole other thing going on all the way over there that some of our maps don't really allude to. Fascinating geography lesson on a Sunday morning. I'm having a great fun. I enjoy this. So um, sorry if it's less interesting for you. The reason this is important is because what was going on in Jerusalem was of major importance to the new Jewish Christians and to the new Gentile Christians. Jerusalem was this hub, it was this center, it was the mother church, and all eyes were on Jerusalem. And who was in charge of Jerusalem? Who was in charge in Jerusalem? James. Absolutely, James. So the custom of the time was for the Jewish authorities, the leaders at the center, to send out these dispatches, these epistles, these letters to the scattered Jews. And so James thinks, well, why not? Let's get writing. And so he writes this book. Okay, so that's sort of where uh, some context. I just want us to see how central and important this book is in terms of the development and the growth of Christianity. Um, so that's a little bit about the book. Who wrote it? Well, um, James says, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings, that's what he says in the verse, first verse. It doesn't tell us very much. Um, there's quite a few Jameses knocking around the New Testament. There's, um, there's James, son of Zebedee, he's the brother of John. Uh, he was one of the most prominent to bear the name James. Uh, he's probably the only other James who was sufficiently well known to expect to be identified by the church simply by his first name in this way. Uh, He was a fisherman. He'd been called by Jesus to follow him. Uh, This is the guy along with his brother, John, who got that awesome nickname, um, Sons of Thunder, by uh, Jesus um, because of their impulsiveness, basically. Uh, But seeing as this, James was one of the first uh, martyrs, he was one of the first people to give his life up for following Jesus he was killed by Herod in AD 44, uh, we don't think it was him who wrote this, so he's out, and then there's James son of Alphaeus, he's another one of the disciples but we don't know very much about him so, um, because of that he's not a very strong contender, then there's James the father of Judas uh, the disciple, not Judas who betrayed Jesus, but Judas son of James he's basically even more obscure so I don't think it was him so the most likely candidate is, is James, the actual brother, technically half brother, of Jesus, one of the other um, sons of Joseph and Mary. And you look at Jesus' family circle. That's a whole intriguing sort of Bible study uh, in itself. Jesus, it would seem, he had four brothers. There's a whole number of sisters. Um, Five out of the 12 apostles, some people say seven, uh, were probably cousins of Jesus, which is why they're at the wedding at Cana. Um, It's pretty unlikely that James and any of the other brothers or sisters of Jesus believed in Jesus during his earthly ministry. I mean, do you have siblings? Um, The reality is... Even when one of them is the Son of God, if you're living alongside someone for 30 years and then they suddenly announce that they're the Messiah, it doesn't go down very well. Think of some of your siblings and at 30 they just said, I am actually the Son of God. You're yeah, right, okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 indicates that Jesus actually appeared to James after the resurrection and that's when things would start getting interesting. Again, you've watched your brother get crucified, and then after his crucifixion, he appears to you, and then you'd start going, oh, so that Messiah thing like, could have been true. Who knew when you weren't sharing your Lego? Um, and so James starts to kind of wake up to the idea that even though you, uh, you are my half-brother and... Um, we shared a room for, like, years. Uh, maybe you actually are the son of God. And um, so James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul in Galatians calls him a pillar of the community. Uh, it was James who moderated the, the church council described in Acts chapter 15. Uh, when Peter got out of jail, he took a special message to James. Uh, James was the widely revered head, the leader of this mother church in Jerusalem. What I'm saying is this this guy's no lightweight. He's he's an important figure for us to be paying attention to. Apparently, he was also a a man of towering stature. He he was able, you saw it in Acts chapter 15, if you read some of that around what he was like, he, he was able to, at the council, he was able to permit all these different factions, these warring, feuding factions, a chance to express themselves. Um, and then he brings peace to the whole situation. He was probably an Enneagram 9, something like that. Um, He managed to do that all based on the scriptures, which is incredible. Sometimes uh, he was referred to as James the Just by the very early Irish Christians. Uh, They called him Jimmy the Knees, or James the Knees, but I think Jimmy the Knees is better, Uh, which makes him sort of sound like something out of the Sopranos, but actually it was because... (laughs) He prayed so much that his knees were like um, as hard as a camel's. You you can call me Neil the Knees if you like. Uh, He was a Jew. He was raised under the law of Moses. And some of that upbringing, some of that background comes across in his letter if you've read it. It has a very unique and distinct style. Um, There are over 50 imperatives in these five chapters James um, does less suggesting and a little more commanding uh, actually he's probably not a nine he's probably in a Myers-Briggs ENTJ um, my kind of guy just <laughs> <laughs> so um, you'll discover that as you read it um, over the next several weeks so so i Paul and Peter—they go off on the. These are these great missionary apostles. They represent the movement of Christianity out from the center, out from Jerusalem, this great centrifuge. James is the guy who stays on as the leader. He's like the anchor man of um, this mother church. He remains at Jerusalem. And what I'm trying to get us to understand is that James's role and his um, his perspective and his take on Christianity is as important as Paul's or Peter's, and we need to be paying attention to it. My point in all of this is the centrality of James, the centrality of what was going on in Jerusalem at this point, this has a significant um, impact on our understanding of the letter and what it is that he's trying to communicate. Um, If you like, when we view it properly, in this way, I think what it does is it gives this little epistle the the very much needed upgrade that I think it deserves. So what's it all about? Well, as I've been kind of thinking about this and looking at books and those sorts of things, uh, the the titles of books on the book of James are pretty telling, um, if not a little troubling, uh, because they're they're based on things like, so there'll be sub Titled things like, you know, um, wisdom for the community, or um, life lessons, or practical wisdom, or be mature, or grow up, or just do it, we're going to say, or faith that works, or belief that behaves. It's all very practical and it's a little bit challenging, to say the least. Um, But if you want a summary of James, It's just incredibly practical. It's a very, very practical book. It's all about spiritual maturity. James is all about the marks of the mature Christian. Basically saying, you lot, if this is what you're professing, if this is the faith that you're professing, this is what it should look like. Okay? Just do it. Stop talking all about it. Just get on and do it. It's all about not... Talking the talk, it's all about walking the walk. It's about growing up before we grow old. Um, I think much of it is summed up in chapter 1, verse 4. It says, let perseverance finish its work. Let persever- perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's talking to the church. He's, his experiences in this church in Jerusalem. He's saying, come on, guys, it's time to step up. It's time to grow up. It's time for this stuff that we've experienced and encountered, this wonderful person of Jesus, to be having a radical impact on our daily lives. This is all about the marks of the mature Christian. And if you wanted to summarize um, the key word in James, as I sort of alluded to, it's pretty simple. It's two letters, and it's do. It's a kind of just do it, for goodness sake. Uh, James is basically telling us as followers of Jesus again and again and again, if we want to be mature in our faith, if we want to be mature Christians, if we want to kind of grow up before we grow old, if we want to lack no good thing, then we are actually going to have to get off our bottoms and do something about it. Um, James, as you'll see, is a very... Um, wake-up-and-smell-the-coffee kind of pull-your-finger-out type of book. Not for the faint-hearted. But if we're wanting to move from being mere infants, being drinking milk, drinking milk, drinking milk, we're wanting to move on and progress and grow and mature in our faith and start tackling some of the meatier stuff, James is a fantastic catalyst for that. Uh, one of the things I love about James is that over and over and over again, despite peace to Martin Luther's um, reference to the epistle of straw because he didn't think it had very much of the gospel in it. One of the things I love about James is that over and again he highlights, and again read it this week and you'll see for yourselves whether that's true or not, highlights the teachings of Jesus. He is constantly going on about Insisting on practical concern for the poor. It's right there. He is passionate. He's got this passionate concern for truthfulness. And as we'll look at in the next few weeks, there's a whole section on the power of words to damage and destroy and divide the church um, he is consistently and constantly underlining the commandment to love our neighbors as being central to the commandment and following um, the law he is constantly challenging us and reminding us to be truthful in what we say he he unpacks the fact that receiving mercy from god is dependent on us demonstrating mercy to others and Although another sort of notoriously odd feature of this book is that it's, it's not very classically um, Christian, uh, and what I mean by that is that Jesus' name is only mentioned uh, twice, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned once, the church doesn't even get mentioned at all, it kind of gets referenced obliquely a couple of times, um, but James actually uses the word synagogue for it, but... Despite that, which is why Martin Luther dismisses it as an epistle of straw, if you look into it and read it properly, there are a considerable number of clear allusions to the sayings of Jesus from the Gospels. And the pundits say that there's no other early Christian work that, that reads so much like the synoptic teaching of Jesus. Uh, one commentator said this, James is one of the very few early Christian writers who writes parables, not long narrative parables, but short parabolic sayings. More than any other of the New Testament writers, James, re- James reflects the spirit and the style of Jesus' teaching. Uh, my point is simply this, just as you've got one strand of um, canonical continuity, if you like, you know, it comes from the gospel, it comes from Jesus, comes through the gospels. It's, it, it, it follows through to sort of Paul's emphasis on, you know, the cross and the resurrection, for example. So you've got another strand which comes from the teachings of Jesus, and it comes through James, and it, its focus and its emphasis on is on doing what Jesus said. Just do not merely listen to the word, verse 22, chapter 1, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So one strand comes via Paul, another strand comes via James. And, and this is nothing more, um, the reason I think we're looking at this is this is nothing more than us, to, um, an attempt, a little bit of a corrective, perhaps, to us, in, in the world in which we've kind of grown up and our faith, and, and it's where we've had a tendency to emphasize much more uh, Paul's teachings and the letters of Paul um, rather than the teachings of the Synoptic Gospels. And so we're coming into land, don't worry. Um, Can I encourage you? No. In the way of James, this week, read the book of James every day. Can I say that? Read the book of James like several times this week. It's five chapters long. It's like 10 minutes. Can we do that? Yeah? Yeah? Just read it like all the way through from beginning to end. Just read. See what the Spirit of God says. Once you've read it, um, can I encourage you to, to read it again? There'll be a prize. We've done this before, haven't we? We like have prizes for these sorts of things. People like this. What did we do it for last time? I can't remember. We'll have a prize for the number of readings of James this week, starting at 12 o'clock today. <laughs> and you're not allowed to lie, because that's like, we'll make Jesus cry. Um, so, what I'm wanting us to do is, I'm wanting us as a church to remember and remind ourselves the scriptures are our plumb line. These are our yardstick. This is the inspired Word of God. This is an important piece of the revelation of God to us, right? And so as a church we should be reading it. I'm sure we're reading all sorts of wonderful things in the scriptures each day. I would encourage us as a church to together and collectively focus in on James. And let's see what the Lord is saying to us as a church through this book. Let's get James back on the map. Let's find out how this very practical letter can help us as individuals and as a church family um, in dealing with the nuts and bolts of our daily walk with God. Okay, let's, um, let's see over the next coming weeks what James has to say on what are the, what are the marks, what are the hallmarks of mature Christianity. Let's see what, the, what James has to say about being tested and facing trials. Let's see what James has to say on how do we practice truth. How do we speak truthfully. Let's see what James has to say on how do we exert power over our tongues and the things that we say. How can we find out what James has to say to us about um, how we become peacemakers and not troublemakers. Uh, how we live prayerfully in the midst of trouble. How we remember the least, the last, the lost in our communities and in the environments in which we find ourselves. It's all in there, and much, much more. So, uh, just as we come at it, can we can I encourage you to be mindful of uh, uh, of the two two types of difficulty that we have sometimes when we're approaching the scriptures and we're approaching. Uh, the Bible. Um, one of them is like a mental difficulty, which is like we don't understand what we're reading. So we're reading something in the Bible, and it's like, like I don't understand that. My brain is not big enough. I just—it doesn't make any sense, right? I don't understand it. The other difficulty that we have with the Scripture, and I think this is probably true for the majority of us, is um, what I'd call a moral difficulty. And what I mean by that is that we do understand what we're reading. Uh, We just don't like what we're reading. And the truth is that more of us have moral difficulties when we're reading the scriptures than um, mental difficulties. I think it was Mark Twain who said, most people are bothered by the passages of scripture they don't understand. But for me, I have noticed the passages that bother me most are the ones I do understand. Gerald Coates once said, the Bible is not a textbook; it's a test book against which we measure our lives. Uh, this does come with a health warning. For those of you who've never actually stumbled into James before, uh, the book of James is much more likely to raise moral rather than mental difficulties for us all. Uh, in fact, it's very easy to understand. In some ways, it's too easy to understand because it's so direct. Um, And that is often the problem with James. It It offends me. It offends my sensibilities. It doesn't leave me any wiggle room to hide from some of the things I just really don't want to have to face up to and invite the Holy Spirit to transform and change in my life. It's very practical Christianity. Uh, James is all about the way we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves as followers of Jesus. What are our moral standards? Okay? (laughs) Sorry, have I traumatized you all? I'm so sorry. That's me done. You'll be glad to know. So, homework. Homework. Read James. I'll be testing (laughs) you all. Great. Okay, we're going to minister to one another now.